The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. President-elect Joe Biden unveiling his 1.9 trillion, yes, with a T, COVID relief plan. Chinese smartphone maker Xiaomi added to the Trump administration's blacklist of companies with alleged ties to China's military. Shares of Petco and Poshmark soaring on their first days of trading as the IPO market roars to start 2021. Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin planning to fly its first space passengers by April with a hefty anticipated price tag and invest in you. How Americans are looking to achieve their saving and retirement goals a bit differently this year. It's Friday, January 15th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Let's get right to the markets and how your money is shaping up. The global markets are setting their day with stock futures indicating a pullback, a pullback, modestly so. The Dow Jones implied lower by around 59 points. The S&P opened lower by about eight points at the bell and the Nasdaq implied open by just about 12 points. So, again, losses, yes, right across the board, but very modest. The Dow closing lower yesterday, posting back-to-back losses for the first time in a month. The Russell 2000 small cap index and the Dow Transportation Index were the two winners, both posting new, by the way, record highs. So, yeah, the Dow is off a little bit, but record highs for small caps and transports. Treasury yields, meanwhile, backing off again slightly this morning as well. Benchmark 10-year Treasury note yields, currently just about 1.11 percent. Two-year note yields a hair above 0.14 percent. And the 30-year long bond, 1.85%, the last trade there. Now, to today's top stories. President-elect Joe Biden unveiling details of a $1.9 trillion COVID relief plan. Among the things the proposal calls for, direct payments of $1,400 to most Americans, an increase in the federal weekly unemployment benefit, as you can see there, raising the federal minimum wage to $15 per hour, extending eviction and foreclosure moratoriums for renters, and then money for education, COVID testing, and vaccine rollout. We'll talk more about that plan with NBC's Tracy Potts in just a few moments here. But first, let's bring you up to speed on the day's big corporate news. Bertha Coombs is here and joins us with those headlines. Good Friday morning to you, Bertha. Good Friday morning, Dom. Good shares of China smartphone maker Xiaomi dropping sharply in Asia trading today. The Trump administration adding the company to its blacklist of firms with alleged Chinese military companies or ties rather with military companies in China. That means U.S. investors can't buy those shares and those who have them must divest those holdings by November. Xiaomi responded to the U.S. today saying that it is not 
linked to China's military. In other news out of China, President Xi Jinping wants former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz to help fix U.S.-China relations. China's official news agency reporting on a letter today sent from Xi to Schultz asking him for help. Jeff Bezos's company Blue Origin ready for flight. Yesterday, it finished its 14th test flight of a rocket booster and capsule. People familiar with the company's plans tell CNBC Blue Origin is aiming to fly its first crewed flight into space by early April. And Tillman Fertitta, very well known to CNBC viewers, is reportedly in talks to take his casino and restaurant assets public through a SPAC. Texas billionaire and Houston Rockets owner operates the Golden Nugget Casinos and hundreds of restaurants under the Landry's brand. Everybody's going SPAC these days, Don. Those four letters, the four letters of 2020 and now, of course, into 2021 as well. Thank you very much, Bertha. We'll see you later on. Now back to the markets. Joining me now is Defiance ETF's chief investment officer and co-founder, Sylvia Jablonski, a friend of the show. Sylvia, happy 2021 to you. What's your big thought for what's going to happen this year, given what we saw in 2020? Good morning, Dominic. Great to see you and Happy New Year. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about 2021 and for a lot of reasons. I think that, you know, we'll probably start to see some positive GDP recovery, I think, in the second half of the year when the vaccines are sort of rolled out and people actually get to take the vaccine and we sort of figure out the distribution and get closer to herd immunity. Um, we'll get that 11 million or, or a big chunk of it back, you know, group of people back to work. And I think that, you know, a lot of that will restart the economy. Uh, fiscal and monetary policy are going to continue to be supportive towards the market. We saw the uh, America Rescue Plan rollout idea yesterday. So, you know, whether or not it passes in the form that it's presented, I do think that the market will be, you know, flush with cash and that the economy will be flush with cash. And what happened last year when, you know, consumers got those checks is that they started spending. So once the consumer starts spending, um, corporate profits look better. Earnings have a chance at getting better. And I think that overall getting people back to work and the economy restarted in the second half of the year will lead to a larger and quicker recovery. So thematically, I mean, th- th- your, your background kind of gives you a little bit of insight into kind of how trends develop in certain industries, certain sectors. What exactly are you seeing this time around, at least in the early going for 2021? Is it still about the technology trade? Is it healthcare? I'm hearing a lot more about things like beating up energy and financials. Is that value trade back? What's biggest on your radar right now? So I think it's a little bit of all of the above. You know, we always advocate for the barbell approach. You want to hold on to your quality names. You know, the Apple and the Googles and the Facebooks, they're probably not going away. These are quality companies that are flush with cash. Maybe the growth won't be on the same trajectory, but rates are low enough. You know, we see little bumps in the 10-year, but they're low enough where cash is cheap. And again, these companies have strong balance sheets. You want to look into the services industry a little bit, right? The airlines are going to get back up. The cruise lines will get back up. You know, the banks will probably start doing better. Some of the service sector industries like restaurants and, you know, even Starbucks, which is sort of like widely open now for takeout. Once they're fully open, I expect to see some opportunities there. But one thing that isn't going away and is in its infancy, in my opinion, is, is you know, to your point theme-wise, is next-generation sector investing. So you want to look at, like, the next sector of communication, which is 5G, you know, names that connect us globally, allow us to share information globally and quickly. They touch AI. They touch healthcare. They touch tech. You know, you just talked about SPAC. 
Um, SPAC is a huge introduction to the market. It's it's nothing new really, but it's it, it almost feels like something new because we had this four four hundred percent growth of SPACs hitting the market last year. So getting access to you know and look at ETFs here. So you get access to a Social Capital, a Virgin Galactic, a DraftKings, and a SoFi in the same index. Um, these are going to democratize IPO and PE like deals for the average investor. So I think that even if recovery is slow innovation and technology are really just starting now. And, and it's sort of 10, 10 years ahead of its time, I think, because of work from home. So if I was thinking about like, what will the next you know, year or decade of fangs be like, it's going to be in disruptive technology and innovation. So next generation sectors um, like 5G and SPAC. All right. Big themes to watch there. Sylvia Jablonski defines. Thank you very much for joining us. We will see you later Thank on you. this year. Now to Washington, D.C. news, as we've been talking about President-elect Joe Biden unveiling his $1.9 trillion COVID relief plan just last night. Meantime, the Senate is preparing for an unprecedented second Senate impeachment trial for President Trump. Tracy Potts joins us now with the breakdown of all the latest. Good Friday morning, Tracy. Hey there, Dom. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. We don't know when the trial will start, uh, for one, because House Speaker Nancy Pelosi still has yet to transfer that one article of impeachment over to the Senate and hasn't said when she will. That's what would trigger the impeachment trial. The earliest possible start for an impeachment trial is Wednesday, Inauguration Day, one hour after Joe Biden is sworn in as president. It's hard to predict how many will come down uh, on the side of conviction. With our NBC News poll showing the country almost evenly split on impeachment and removal, a handful of Republicans are considering it. I believe this president violated his oath of office, and I believe there must be consequences. What good comes from impeaching, impeaching President Trump after he's out of office? That's an unconstitutional attack on the presidency. It will divide the country. It will incite violence. According to the New York Times, an intelligence bulletin warns of extremists planning a race war. We're concerned about the potential for violence at multiple protests and rallies. Members of Congress are concerned about their safety. Many of us are altering our routines, um, uh, working to get body armor. We're going to ensure that we have a safe inauguration. President-elect Biden announcing his post-inauguration plans, a $1.9 trillion rescue package with faster COVID vaccinations and a $1,400 payment to most Americans. The $600 already appropriated is simply not enough. We just have to choose between paying rent and putting food on the table. He's hoping the Senate can move quickly on economic relief while dealing with impeachment. Of course, dealing with security is still a big issue here, too, Dom, with these 21,000 National Guard troops headed into Washington. And now congressional Democrats looking back and asking for an investigation into what they now remember is an unusually large number of visitors at the Capitol the day before the attack. They think some of those visitors could have been scoping out the building. Yeah, with travel and leisure restrictions coming full force for many companies as well. Tracy Potts live in Washington, D.C. with the latest on all the moving parts. Thank you very much. Now, when we come back, if you're like many Americans, your 2021 resolutions probably include something about your personal finances. Sharon Epperson joins us with a look at how many people plan to achieve their saving and retirement goals this year and how they're going to do it. It might be done a bit differently this year. But first, as we head out to break, check out shares of SAP in Germany right now. The Softity, the software company posting better than expected fourth quarter results. It sees 
flat revenues in 2021. Those shares nonetheless up about one and a half percent in the pre-market trade. Stay tuned. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this quick break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Saving more has consistently been a top financial resolution for each new year, yet some Americans may try to reach that goal a little differently in 2021. CNBC's senior personal finance correspondent Sharon Epperson joins us now with the latest look there. Sharon, I always and I know many Americans want to save more, but it's tough these days. How exactly are the numbers bearing out early this year? Well, Don, you're absolutely right. About 40 percent of Americans say they'll actually be in survival mode this year, focused on saving for day to day money managers, according to Fidelity survey. But many workers are also trying to figure out the best way to maximize their retirement savings. 31 year old Angel Trend works in cybersecurity. Her main focus this year, her own economic security. My top goals for um, 2021 is to actually be better about investing. She's saving as much as she can in her retirement accounts now so that she's well prepared later. I have to play catch up now after I paid off all my student loan debt. I can now max out my investments. The maximum you can contribute to an IRA this year is $6,000. You can put away up to $19,500 in your 401k. If you're 50 or older, you can add catch up contributions to both an additional $1,000 for an IRA, and an extra $6,500 in a 401k. Trend's retirement savings are mostly in target date funds, which automatically rebalance from stocks to bonds as you get closer to your retirement date. This year, she wants to start investing on her own. It's definitely one of my resolutions. Of course, investing is risky, but at the same time, like the, the bigger the risk, the bigger the return. Financial advisor Roger Ma, author of Work Your Money, Not Your Life, says focus on what you can control in the investment landscape. What you're invested in, how much you pay to invest, and where you put each of those investments, what type of accounts you use. Then build on what you already own. Advice Trin hopes will help her with her ultimate goal. I want to retire with a lot of money. <laughs> And be financially free. Roger Ma says one way to become a more independent investor is to actually buy funds that make up a target date fund. That's usually a U.S. stock index fund, an international index fund, and a U.S. bond index fund. Buying those investments on your own may give you a better handle on investing while still making sure that your accounts are well diversified. Dom? But you got to do a lot of that work on your own and homework as well. I, I, I'm wondering, Sharon, you know, your, your subject of the story right there talked about how she paid off student loans. There were quite a few people last year, despite the fact that markets were at record highs, that needed to tap into their 401ks, possibly for hardship withdrawals because of what happened with the covid pandemic. What exactly did that kind of effect have on the overall industry and how exactly are people recovering or trying to recover from that kind of hardship withdrawal scenario? 
Well, certainly there were was an opportunity to take a withdrawal from your 401k under the CARES Act that allowed you to do that without having an early withdrawal penalty. And we talked to Fidelity, which is the largest 401k provider in the country, and they said that they actually had about 1.6 million people take distributions from a 401k plan or the 403b plan that a lot of educators have um, in order to deal with COVID-related financial impacts that they were facing. Now, that CARES Act allowed you to take up to $100,000 without having to pay any type of penalty if you took that out before 59 and a half. What Fidelity said was the average amount that people took out was about $20,400. A very small percentage took out the full 100000 The issue is at that time that they're taking money out, many 401k savers are not saving at all. So there is a lot more catching up that would have to be done with retirement savings. But when you can and what you can, put that away. That is the advice that most people are saying is the thing to do in 2021. All right, Sharon, that, that's one end of the spectrum. That, that's the end that, that people had to take hardship withdrawals for. We know that there's been a K-shaped, so-called K-shaped recovery out there. Many people out there have maybe maxed out their IRA contributions or their 401k contributions as well. Are there other ways, maybe tax-advantaged ones, that those people can do to, to put even more money aside if they're looking for that more secure retirement? There absolutely are more ways, or there's one that you really want to look into, and that is if you have a high deductible health insurance plan, you want to look into getting a health savings account because you can get savings in on several levels there in terms of tax savings. But in addition to that, as you're putting money away for medical expenses today, if you don't use it all, you can invest that money to have for medical expenses in retirement. And that's often the biggest expense for many retirees. So it's important to know that you can put in 36 Hundred dollars if you're an individual um, with a reti- with a high deductible health insurance plan. If you have a family that's on your health insurance plan, you can put away seventy two hundred dollars. All right, big big deals for sure there. Sharon Epperson with the latest there on personal finances. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Still on deck for the show. Two charts that can tell you an awful lot about the market action happening right now. We will reveal them. That's coming up next. Today's big number, 63%. That's how many home buyers made an offer on a property in 2020 without seeing it in person, according to Redfin. That's up 32% from the prior year. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's take a look at some of the big trends that we see developing so far in the early part of 2021. First of all, we're looking at small cap stocks versus large cap stocks. Small caps had been a huge underperformer for the lot a good portion of 2020. As you can see here, the white line represents the small cap stocks and the orange line represents the S&P 500. Here, the underperformance has been around just until about the early part of last year or this year into last year in that third quarter. Look at that move here. Small cap stocks are now very much outperforming. That's perhaps a sign that some investors see a clearer path ahead for the economy 
in the wake of COVID vaccinations happening right now. So watch small caps, possibly a leading indicator. Also a leading indicator for some in the markets out there is what's happening with technology and specifically with semiconductors. Computer chips are used in just about everything these days. So the more chips that are being used and sold, the better maybe the global economy is. Take a look at this Van Eck Vector Semiconductor ETF which is up now 68% over the last year. It hit a record high in trading just in the last couple of days here. But remember, the folks at Bespoke Investment Group say that one measure of semiconductors, the SOX index, is off to its best start in years now. That's another part to keep track of. And then on the value side of things, there's been a huge focus on big oil companies like Chevron and like Exxon. Why? Because they were huge underperformers as oil collapsed last year. But take a look at the recent trends over the last three months. Chevron is up 30 percent. That's underperformed because Exxon is up 45 percent. And the overall energy sector ETF is up 42 in just three months alone. There have been a slew of analyst upgrades for companies like Chevron and Exxon saying that perhaps there are bigger macro, big picture tailwinds that could be helping that particular industry. And Chevron and Exxon could be ones to focus on there. Investors have already bid up the shares in the last three months. We'll see if that trend continues on the value side of things. Well, coming up on the show, President-elect Joe Biden unveiling his $1.9 trillion COVID relief plan. What investors need to know about that big plan coming up next. And as a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the CNBC app, on your smartphone, tablet, whatever. Worldwide Exchange is back in just a moment. Good morning, President-elect Joe Biden unveiling his $1.9 trillion COVID relief plan. Futures pointing to red arrows at the opening bell, modestly so, after the Dow posts its first back-to-back declines in about a month. And let earnings season begin. J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, you know them. They're all set to post their quarterly results later on this morning. It's Friday, January 15th. 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning on Worldwide Exchange. Here is how your money and investments are looking as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern Time Hour. Stock futures are pointing towards modest losses at the opening bell, with the Dow implied lower by just about 65 points. That's just about where we were about half an hour ago. The S&P implied lower by 8, and the Nasdaq down by just about 12 to 13 points. Treasury yields also showing some red. That means they are ticking slightly lower. The benchmark U.S. Treasury note yield for the 10-year side of things, currently just about 1.11%. On the two-year side, about 0.14%. And the 30-year long Treasury bond, 1.86%. And we are watching shares of Poshmark and Petco. The P&P both began trading as publicly listed companies in yesterday's session. Poshmark, get this. They sell used clothes online. It closed up more than 140 percent. Meanwhile, Petco, now the defunct, reborn, defunct, reborn pet product supply retailer, shot up more than 60 percent. Both of those trades looking like they are continuing that hot trade for IPOs that we saw in 2020 as well. Well, today's top corporate story and Washington story, President-elect Joe Biden unveiling details of a $1.9 trillion COVID relief plan. Eamon Javers joins us with the details, and there are a lot of implications for not just the political arena, but the economic one as well. Right, Eamon? 
Yeah, that's right, Dom. There's a lot in this package. Let me get right to it. The vice president, the former vice president, the president-elect, excuse me, is calling this the American Rescue Plan. He says, and his team says, this will be just the first of a number of plans. He's just dividing his response here into rescue and recovery. This is just the rescue piece, and it clocks in at $1.9 trillion. The former vice president said yesterday that the country simply needs to get this done in order to recover from the enormous damage that it's experienced from the COVID pandemic. Here's what he said. If we invest now boldly, smartly, and with unwavering focus on American workers and families, we will strengthen our economy, reduce inequity, and put our nation's long-term finances on the most sustainable course. So let's go into the details here. There's $400 billion for COVID-19 response, $20 billion toward the vaccine program, $50 billion for testing, $30 billion for supplies and protective gear, $170 billion to get K-12 schools and colleges open. The, the uh, president-elect says he wants to get those schools and colleges open in the first 100 days of his administration. There's direct aid of about a trillion dollars, including additional direct payments to Americans, $1,400 direct checks to plus up the last round of checks to an even $2,000. Uh, there's $400 a week in federal unemployment insurance through September, $30 billion in rental assistance. Uh, he wants to go to a $15 an hour minimum wage. And then also there's aid for those states and local businesses that have been so hard hit. $350 billion in state and local government aid. That was a deal breaker in the last uh, round of stimulus negotiations. $50 billion for small business grants and loans. And $20 billion for public transit systems that have been so badly hit by this pandemic. So, Don, the question now is, can any of this pass in a deeply divided Congress? Remember, Joe Biden will have the majority after January 20th, but it's one of the slimmest majorities we've ever seen, a 50-50 majority uh, in the Senate with Kamala Harris as the tie-breaking vote there and a slim margin in the House of Representatives. Uh, Biden's team was asked about that yesterday on a conference call with reporters, uh, whether or not they have the votes in the Senate. They said, well, we've been talking to mayors and governors about this. So interesting that when they're asked about the Senate, they talk, they're talking about mayors and governors, those people on the front lines who really see the daily need for this aid. They, they're hoping that those folks will lean on their representatives in the Senate uh, to get this thing passed. But it's not at all clear whether $1.9 trillion can pass the House and the Senate, Tom. Amen. You read my mind because I know and you know, too, and everybody else in America <laughs> probably knows that it's the nature of politics to go into compromise. President Trump didn't get everything he wanted. President Obama didn't get anything he everything he wanted. So how exactly then do the Democrats and the Biden, Biden administration push forward on certain things? What exactly are the most important things in that one point nine trillion dollar package that they're going to throw the most political capital at? Or is this all going to be a big compromise at the end? It's going to be a big compromise at the end. You know, the, the sausage making is unwieldy. This is basically the first ask from the Biden team, and we'll see where we go. But in terms of priorities, you know, that $400 billion around COVID relief really seems to be important to them. Talking to some of those officials on the phone yesterday, uh, you know, they were uh, astonished at the lack of planning, the lack of any national system that they found when they came into the transition to deal with the Trump team uh, in terms of the coronavirus. Uh, they said it's much worse than they thought it was. So they're really focused now on getting that direct aid out to try to 
turn this coronavirus situation around, get those vaccinations happening. Uh, they said there was basically no plan at the federal level to get needles into arms. Uh, that's something that they really need to focus on because they understand that if they don't do that, they can't turn, they can't really kick in the beginnings of an economic recovery. And they're a little bit frightened by some of the economic data that they've seen worsening over the past month or so as the pandemic really sets in now uh, with uh, as many as 4,000 deaths a day across the country. Uh, you know, this is horrific stuff. If you turn that around, then you can begin an economic recovery and, and, and begin to move on. It's going to be one of the biggest stories in business in 2021, for sure, the recovery part of this whole COVID pandemic. Thank you very much, Eamon Javers. We appreciate it. Well, joining us now is Victoria Fernandez, Chief Market Strategist at Crossmark Global Investments. Uh, Victoria, we just heard what Eamon said with regard to kind of the asks of the Biden administration, incoming administration from Congress for COVID relief. How much are the markets dependent on what happens with direct government payments and more relief on the fiscal side of things for America? Yeah, Dom, I do think that the markets have already priced in to some extent that we're going to get another package. I'm not sure they've priced in everything that we saw in this $1.9 trillion plan. Um, probably the $15 minimum wage, the state and local aid. You were just talking with Eamon about things that maybe wouldn't make it into a final version. Those are two things that I think will probably be negotiated pretty strongly by the Republicans. But the market anticipates there will be some form of direct payment, some form of a assistance to small businesses. And that's priced into the market. That's why we had seen up until the last couple of days, the market continue to trend higher. I think it's already looking past this, though. It assumes it's there. It's baked into the cake. The market is already looking six, nine months down the road when the reopening trade is more prominent. Things are starting to, to open and get back to normal with the vaccine rollout. That's what the market is focusing on, on right now, along with the guidance coming out of earnings, which obviously we know starts today with the banks. All right. So what's most important then? I mean, I know that the covid relief and the trillions of dollars coming out of D.C. is important. But should we focus for investors on things like earnings? Do they matter given the covid narrative these days? You know, it's interesting. I was actually talking with a group of clients yesterday, and we talked about how the economic fundamentals in 2020 tended to hold their own, really led by the consumer, led by the housing market. And one of the key factors for us in 2021 is can those fundamentals continue to hold? The, the positive headlines from the vaccine rollout are only going to take us so far. We've got to have those fundamentals there. We think manufacturing is going to continue to do well because we heard from the small businesses inventories are really low. So manufacturing should do well. If the vaccine rollout continues um, along its current path, then you're going to have services start to catch up. The consumer is going to have more money in their pockets from the stimulus plan. That's going to allow consumption to continue. So those are key factors in 2021. I think we're getting to the point where we've kind of looked past some things through COVID um, long enough at this point, and now we need the fundamentals to catch up. I think they're going to do that. If they don't, that's where you might see a 5 6 7% pullback in the market, which for us would actually be an opportunity to go and buy some of the names perhaps you missed out on. All right, so let's talk about some of the names that you are, you are drawn towards right now, Victoria. I mean, 2020 was the year, you could argue, of big tech, the work from home trade, maybe maybe even IPOs and SPACs. What's 2021 going to be the year of? 
You know, typically you wouldn't think in January it'd be the big IPO time. Uh, but look, I mean, you were talking about Petco and Poshmark. They did really well in their opening uh, in their opening day trades. But for us, we continue to keep that barbell strategy where we have some value and cyclical names in there. We do own J.P. Morgan. Uh, we own Charles Schwab. So we have some cyclical names. But we still really like that growth trade. We're overweight on the growth side. We think that some of the things that you talked about, the work from home, the change in people's daily lives where they're doing more things online, whether it's retail shopping, whether it's healthcare, whether it's fitness, Look at some of the companies that you will need for all of that to continue, whether it's in the 5G space, like a Verizon, whether it's going to be in American Tower, where they're building out those cell networks, whether it's a Broadcom, whether it's cloud business with Amazon and Microsoft. Yes, those names have had strong runs in 2020, but we think the trends, the longer term trends that are set forward there are going to continue and we'll continue to see growth in those names. But don't forget things like housing we talked about. Builders have a long backlog right now, and we saw your big number, 63% of people bought houses without even looking at them. So there's some plays there as well with maybe Lennar and Home Depot. All right. The names we love to get from you, Victoria. Always great to have you on naming those names. We appreciate it. We'll see you later on. My pleasure. All right. Coming up on the show, could empty New York hotels be converted to condominiums? Governor Andrew Cuomo proposed the idea this week, but it may not be all that easy. That full story coming up as you look at a live shot of Midtown Manhattan in New York City. Welcome back to the show. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo making headlines with his proposal to turn empty hotels into apartments amid the virus pandemic. But is it really that easy? Seema Modi has been investigating that story. And Seema, it sounds good on paper. What's the problem? So here's the thing, Dom. In a speech earlier this week, Governor Cuomo, he did propose converting empty hotels into residential housing buildings, an idea that other cities are reviewing as hotel vacancy in most cities remains below 50 percent. In New York, it's well below that at around 36 percent because demand here, driven mostly by international tourists and conferences, the expectation is that the lodging industry in New York won't return to 2019 levels for three to four years from now. But converting hotels into condos or affordable housing uh, is not as easy as it may seem, especially for, for New York, where rooms tend to be smaller, lack a kitchenette. That means developers will have to spend more money per room for conversion. Vijay Dandapani of the Hotel Association of New York City says it can cost three to $400,000 per room. And then there's zoning laws that prohibit hotels from being built in certain parts of the city. Dandapani says in order for conversions to work, the city would have to change those zoning laws and also provide a tax and abatement program to incentivize developers. So whether hotels convert into housing, it really depends on the subsidies and programs offered by the city and state to these struggling hotels that are reviewing a number of options. Currently in New York City, 200 hotels still remain closed, and it's unclear if a lot of these properties will reopen. Dom? I I wonder, I mean, we've been focusing so much these days because of a hot IPO and Airbnb. If if we take a look at, we stick with that that kind of theme. Airbnb closed up 10% yesterday. There's got to be something driving that. We know that maybe some of the real estate stories, some of the travel stories are all kind of intertwined. 
But let's talk about why Airbnb is still going up so much, even though we're expecting or many are expecting revenues to actually show a decline on a quarter over quarter, year over year basis. Yes, you're absolutely right, Dom. Tracking the performance of Airbnb over the past couple of days has been really interesting. Just yesterday, closing higher by as much as 10%. CEO of Airbnb, Brian Chesky, at a Reuters conference yesterday, he did talk about how prior to COVID, Airbnb uh, had a number of other projects it was working on. Just looking here at a note from Gordon Haskett, uh, developing a transportation and air travel offering, investing in the luxury space, expanding into hotels, and creating hotel tr- content. Bottom line, Dom, Airbnb wants to be more than just a home rental site. They want to be an online travel operator, which squarely puts it uh, in position to compete with the likes of Expedia and Booking Holdings. So that sort of gained a little bit of optimism or attracted some interest from investors yesterday. This idea that, again, Airbnb from early on as a public company trying to expand beyond home rentals, unclear when those projects will uh, sort of be in fruition and be prioritized, but clearly uh, Chesky setting his sights high. Well, crisis does create opportunity, right, Seema? So we'll see how, the, how that kind of trajectory goes. There you go. Thank you very much for that. Well, let's move from one area of hospitality to another. Airlines kicked off results yesterday with Delta posting a Q4 loss to cap off its worst year ever. The stock finished up on the day despite that loss. Now, that report comes at a time when new travel restrictions and stimulus questions are leading the broader industry into a very uncertain 2021. Joining us now is Savi Scythe, Managing Director and Airlines Analyst at Raymond James. Savi, you heard Seema's report there. Some are saying we could not see travel return for certain parts of the country to normal levels, quote-unquote normal levels, in three to four years. Airlines, why, why do they keep going higher? Well, for one reason, airlines, they can direct their capacity where they need to, where the demand is higher. So that is encouraging. Um, and what we've seen is like the demand environment is challenging, but it is getting better uh, you know, every week. Uh, the, the trend has slowed uh, since uh, what we saw back in October with new restrictions. But generally, we're, we're heading in the right direction. And as as the vaccines uh, you know, get out to the population and we start to see some of these restrictions come down, you can see things improve quite a bit as you head into the end of this year. So I think there's a lot of hope uh, and, and expectation for light at the end of the tunnel. All right. That's the reason why the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel argument is why we have seen and it's justified these airline stocks go higher. Is there a separation happening within the industry among those who are better positioned for that recovery as it develops versus those who may have more baggage, so to speak? Definitely. And in two ways. One is, you know, what we have more certainty about is that leisure and visiting friends and relatives type travel will come back. I I think and, and domestic travel will rebound sooner. So airlines that are exposed to those uh, that, that level of demand are better positioned. And then there's another thing that, that's kind of separating the group, and that's those airlines that have better balance sheets uh, and that can take advantage of that recovery and invest and, and, and grow that supply. So it, there is a definite separation that will happen coming out of this. But right now, I think there's a, the group move as, as just recovery uh, sets in. All right. So the rising tide, the rising drafts, if you will, for the airline business are certainly taking them all up higher. As an analyst, you're looking at the winners and losers on a relative basis. So who's best positioned right now? Who's going to outperform and which are the ones that you maybe want to stay a little bit further away from? You're right now. The demand is, uh, you know, very much leisure and VFR, as I mentioned 
um, and very much domestic. So our uh, kind of picks early on is for you know, leisure-focused airlines, more domestic-focused airlines. So we really like Allegiant and Alaska here. And as the business recovers, I think SkyWest is another good airline uh, that, that we like as well. Among the large caps, um, you know, Southwest is definitely well-positioned. And for a recovery trade, we think kind of the risk-reward in United looks interesting. And um, what are- once, once we would be a little bit more concerned about is like American. I think they're well-positioned from a geographical standpoint in the near term. But they do have a lot of debt that they need to work through uh, over the next few years. How dependent is the industry on more fiscal aid for 2021? They made a lot of headlines for how many billions they got last year. Do we need to continue giving airlines that kind of money as taxpayers for them to really survive? Yeah, last year's CARES Act was very important, especially the loan program. Um, this this new program helps. It's, it's a, for some airlines, it's a little bit of found money. It's really important for obviously the labor groups here, um, and and it keeps the airlines. If there is a faster recovery, it keeps uh, it keeps their operations on a ready mode. Um, I think from a stimulus standpoint, it's more important what the economy gets because once uh, once we can travel, we want a strong consumer and we want strong businesses. So I think that's probably going to be more important for airlines going forward. Uh, to to be able to really kind of recover and get back. All right. The travel and leisure trade and the recovery ahead. Savi Saith at Raymond James. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. All right. On deck for the show, big banks very much in focus. We'll get ready for today's major reports. It's J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, the big ones to kick off earnings season. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed, do so to our new podcast, Worldwide Exchange, every day in audio format. If you miss us, check us out on Apple or Spotify or whatever other podcast app is your fancy. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to Big Banks kicking off earnings today with J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo and Citigroup all reporting results before the market opens. Financials have staged a staggering comeback since the lows of 2020 as interest rates are climbing and stimulus has helped keep banks afloat. Joining us now for an earnings preview is Gerard Cassidy. You know him. He's the head of U.S. Bank Strategy and large cap bank analyst at RBC Capital Markets. Gerard, always great to hear from you. Let's talk about whether or not the big banks are going to set a good tone for the rest of the industry and the market in the coming days. Thank you, Don. And, and I think they will set a good tone. As you pointed out, we expect the number of the big banks to be reporting fourth quarter results later this morning. And those results are going to be driven by a couple of factors. First and foremost, of course, will be credit quality. As you know, the economy has recovered very nicely from the depths of the downturn in the second quarter. And the banks, I think, are going to show that the credit picture has actually improved quite a bit. Second, because these banks all have capital markets activities I think you're going to see very strong capital market results relative to fourth quarter of last year. Now, seasonally, third quarter is stronger than fourth quarter. So I can see sequentially the numbers being lower. But year over year, I think the fourth quarter capital market numbers will be very strong. And then lastly, and you touched on it, I think interest rates, the yield curve is starting to steepen. So I think we're going to get some um, positive news on the direction of the net interest margin in 2021 because of the steepening of the yield curve. 
Now, now the, the interest rate picture from a macro perspective is a huge part of that bank's story. I, is there anything specific to these companies, either on the, the money center side of things, the, 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 the regional side of things? Are, are there reserves that, that need to be watched for? What exactly would be the big theme for these banks, not just this quarter, but for the better part of 2021, if the economic trajectory continues on that modest upside? There are two very important themes for investors to keep focused on for 2021. And it's premised, of course, on the economy, as you just pointed out, being uh, strong in 2021. Let's assume that the vaccinations are available to everybody by the middle of the year. Under that scenario, the number one line item that everyone should focus on is, again, credit quality. I think we're going to find loan loss reserve releasing throughout 21. We may even see negative loan loss provisions, very similar done to what we saw after the financial crisis. Second, as you've seen this year, and you pointed out, the stocks have been gangbusters since the start of the year. And that's be due, it's due to that 10-year government bond yield moving up the way it has. And if we're sitting here a year from now and the 10-year government bond yield is 175 basis points, that's steepening in the curve will be favorable, will impact favorably the bank's net interest margins even further, which will help their profitability. So, so, so should bank investors, Gerard, be more focused on yield curve sensitive banks or more capital markets activity sensitive banks? Are, are, are there certain parts of the market and certain banks in particular that catch your attention on the positive side more than others? I, I think there, there are. And those banks include, for example, Bank America. And it's due to what you just pointed out, which is asset sensitivity. These banks will see the benefit more so in the steepening of the curve. A few of the regional banks, I think, will also benefit. Names like Key Corp and Fifth Third, Regions Financial. And all of these companies, you might recall, crashed during the financial crisis. And they had indicated post-financial crisis that they de-risked their balance sheets. So not only do you get the earnings recovery in a J.P. Morgan, which is, of course, a stalwart, or a U.S. Bancor, which is another strong company, these other companies, I think, we're going to get valuation improvement as investors discover that they didn't have to cut their dividends. There was no deprecation in capital, unlike what we saw in 2008 and 2009. And I put Citigroup in that camp as well. All right. Now, we've only got about 20, 30 seconds left here, Gerard. I can't over the last decade, every time we speak, I need to talk about distress in banks because that's how in many ways a lot of investors know you from the Texas ratio and everything else. What's the biggest hurdle for banks in 2021? I would say the biggest hurdle is fiscal policy out of Washington, D.C. that raises taxes too aggressively and slows down the economic recovery. I think that's the biggest potential hurdle for the banks in the upcoming year. All right, Gerard Cassie at RBC, thank you very much, and good luck with the big earnings season coming up. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next on this big day for big banks. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack.